Ricky Henderson began his professional career the very year that Ben Gray was born. He's off on the pitch. Puck throws and Ricky is out. Ricky Henderson took off with Ben Greve in the box. Strange time to try to steal third base and Pudge throws out another. The A's tie the game on the Ricky base hit. It's 1-1 after six. Since I was born, I dreamed of being a Budweiser Clydesdale. Only problem is, I was born a donkey. So all my life, I practiced the Clydesdale walk. And the Clydesdale pull. I even tried hair extensions on my lower legs. And then came my big interview. They looked me in the eye and said, What makes you think you can be a Clydesdale, son? And what was my answer? said something, right? And that's pulled deep, and all of a sudden, it's 5-0 Texas. Man, is that ball tattooed. That's in the upper deck. Whoa! Hanging, breaking ball, a three-run home run for Pudge Rodriguez, and there was absolutely no doubt about it. And Kenny Cloud getting lit up like a Christmas tree here in the first inning. It is 5-0 Rangers. That right out over the plate. Rodriguez, a 340 hitter against Mariner pitching last year. And a line drive, base hit to right field. So McLemore is going to score as Buner gets it back in to David Bell. Mr. Pudge Rodriguez with four RBIs tonight. 2-2 pitch. Breaking ball belted, and there's the new Texas record. A grand slam home run. It is 13-0 Texas, and Pudge Rodriguez now has nine RBIs tonight. My, oh my, what a night for Pudge Rodriguez. Nine RBIs. A new Texas record. A hanging breaking ball right up in his eyes. Wow! One of the great offensive nights we've ever seen here at the Kingdom. By one hitter. Ram Salami, his second home run of the game. Backwards K Pod. And now, here's the host of the show, 
is Jake Robinson. I never move a slow mo. Welcome to my dojo. Those other parts are so so. I'm too light, bro. Yo, focus like a GoPro. Ripping up this promo. Check out the school board preach. I'm throwing no nose. It's going, it's going, it's going. Yo, it's gone. Your heart just stopped. Cause Jake got strong and mighty. Undefeated, I mean it. Pull up the pot, scroll it down and read it. Written, produced, directed, and mixed. Dog on your lips and Ozzy Smith back flips. Pick a tip, any tip, get onto it. I got ridiculous pods without forcing it. You sit at home crying like a girl while I spread the gospel around the world. Yo, the pods are written behind tracks that mixed it smooth with the groove to make ears want to listen. Add a little cut and a rhythm to back it up. Another show to my name, now watch me stack them up. You think another way, rap back, but this ain't no ag jack. My hobbies are rhymes, some people try to be black for that. About time I come out, call the show BKP and let me turn it out. Yo, name Jake the Snake, born of 71. Dates, you know what time it is. I'm packing them guns, yo experience. I've been a witness to glory, and that's why I collect ball players and their stories. You heard? So, once again, back is the incredible, the pod animal, Jake the Snake Robinson from the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network. I'm coming out of Pauly's Island, South Kagalaki. Half man, half podcast machine. Back in the Captain Kirk chair, shields down, photons up. Prepare to engage on this week's digital audio program that I call Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stories. What's cracking your face? What's Gucci? Welcome back into the BKP Dojo for yet another baseball story to add to the collection of our always expanded catalog of archives. Every week, I like to, you know, slide into your baseball conscience with some dank fire as I break down the characters, history, milestones, moments, stadiums, as well as, you know, pop culture references that have withstood the test of time and have been woven and stitched into the DNA fabric of America and baseball. Hello everybody, I'm Jake Robinson I got your hook up Holler if you hear me And this is Backwards K-Pod The Grassroots Baseball Podcast Show Spanning the globe And I'm on a mission from God To spread the gospel of baseball All over our beautiful green and blue marble The game has been my life's passion And this is how I repay the sport back by leaving my voice behind for future seam heads. Who I'm sure are going to take this game to new heights after I'm long gone. The history of this game is precious to me. Someone needs to preserve it. And I'm honored to be the steward for baseball. And have all you freaks share this experience with me. This is show 108 and week 3 of the 2023 MLB All Season. Not too much going on this week except, you know, right-handed pitcher Kyle Gibson has signed with the St. Louis Cardinals, as well as Lance Lynn. And just before I came on the air, they also inked Sonny Gray to a deal. So, you know, that's going to give the cards four innings eaters in, in their rotation, along with, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Miles Mikolos. And I'll tell you. Uh, expects offensive fireworks at Bush Stadium with Lance Lynn, who gave up the most home runs for pitchers last year. 
and Mikolas and Gibson giving up the most hits in the National and American League, respectively. And truth be told, most of the MLB universe is on pins and needles, waiting to see who wins the jackpot, Yoshinobu Yamamoto sweepstakes. And insiders have said that no less than half the teams in the league have made inquiries into the 25-year-old Japanese ace. And why wouldn't you be in? Especially if you're a contender with world title aspirations. I mean, he's expected to begin holding meetings with MLB teams this week via phone and Zoom. His uh, negotiating window opened November 21st. And it runs till 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on January 24th. Although, he's expected to sign somewhere well before then. And I gotta think, he's got a list he's forming in his head already. But, another curveball was thrown into the mix when it was announced that 30-year-old Nippon League pitcher Shota Imanaga of the Yokohama Bay Stars could be hitting the free agent market as soon as... Well, yesterday, from the time that I dropped this, and he was the starter in the 2023 WBC Championship game versus Team USA. He picked up the win in two innings pitch, giving up one earned. Now, he's different than Yamamoto in that he's a little older, he's 30 years old, and he's a southpaw with one of those, you know, exaggerated Asian pauses to his pitching motion. He draws a lot of comparisons to Nestor Cortez and John Means. But like Yamamoto, he is a three-time Sawamura Award winner, which is the Japanese equivalent to the Cy Young. So with Otani being the biggest name in the offseason free agent pool on the hitting side, and with Yoshinobu and Imanaga joining the free agent frenzy from the pitching side, the Japanese are poised to corner the market. And to be told, I'm absolutely loving the international feel of this offseason as the WBC has really opened the world to the sport. And we are truly seeing the greatest players in the world play here. It's also looking like Kenta Maeda is on the cusp of another Japanese pitcher of leaving the Twins for a two-year deal with their division rival, Detroit Tigers, although Detroit has not confirmed the deal as I go to air. And I said it last week, I feel like the dominoes will begin to fall once Yamamoto's MLB value has been established, and I expect guys to fly up the shelves. I expect some trades this offseason. To me... The free agent market is stronger on the pitching side of the ball, but there is more quantity in the bats. And somebody is going to be overpaying for some bats. I'm telling you right now. We know the Yankees need left-handed bats and outfielders. We know the Dodgers are looking at pitchers hard. And this could have an impact on driving the market prices up this winter. So, I'll definitely be keeping an eye on that. Former Cards manager and Tony La Russa disciple Mike Schilt has taken over as manager for the Padres in replace of Bob Melvin, who is now the skipper in San Francisco. So, look, things are still going on in the day-to-day ops of Major League Baseball, but everyone is waiting for a big name to move, and I'll be here every week of the offseason with you C-Meds, ready to bring it all to you.
And with that being said, I think it's time we clear this platform here at Terrapin Station. Load up our BKP time, Chow Choo Kiss and hug your loved ones goodbye. Don't worry, for them, it's a mere two minutes and 22 second wait for our return. But for you lucky travelers on this journey this week, we will cover the career and life of the great Avon Pudge Rodriguez. One of the greatest catchers to ever don the tools of ignorance and squat behind a dish. As I look out onto the ball field to the west of us here at Terrapin, I see the pitcher has finished his warm-up pitches. The catcher is throwing the ball down to second. The infield is tossing that rock around. And now the umpire is called play ball. So I'm calling all aboard. As I'm going to set our time and destination for November 27th, 1971, Manatee, Puerto Rico, for the birth and rise of this baseball immortal. So, hurry, hurry, step right up, climb aboard, make yourself comfortable, folks. Get in where you fit in. Take off your shoes. Open your kimonos. Now make yourself at home as we've been spacing time to get to our destination of Manatee, Puerto Rico, 1971. And let's talk about Punch a little, shall we? On October 27, 2023, Avon and former U.S. President George W. Bush walked the clubhouse hallway that leads to the dugout and the playing field of Globe Life Stadium. And this was for game one of the 2023 World Series between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the eventual world champion Texas Rangers. The Hall of Fame catcher and former president had known each other for years going back to when W was the owner of the Rangers from 1988 to 1998 when he sold controlling interest in the team after becoming the governor of the state of Texas. And Pudge turns to Bush and he asks, Mr. President, are you nervous? You know you have one of the greatest first pitches ever by a president. And he's referring to that electrifying toss from the top of the bump for a perfect strike in Yankee Stadium after the 9-11 terrorist attacks 22 summers ago. And he asked him, are you going to the top of the mound on this one, sir? And President Bush replies back, I wasn't nervous until you asked me that, Pudge. And no, I'm not going to the top of the mound. Well, don't you worry about the thing, Mr. President. Even if you bounce the ball, it will not get past me. I got you, sir. The confident Pudge shoots back. And just then... The former president was being shuffled off our pre-ceremony interview with Derek Jeter on a TBS broadcast. So Pudge walks into the dugout and looks out onto the field and sees all the young faces on the New Era Rangers team. Rodriguez is 51 years old at this time. He's a little pudgier. He's grayer, balder. Even though he would eventually win a World Series ring with the Florida Marlins, he so wanted to one day win a championship for Dallas. So bad. And 
Now, the corner of his eye, he sees the former president walk out onto the field after his introduction, and his name is announced as the catcher of the ceremonial first pitch. And the crowd noise is deafening as the two Texas baseball deities make their way to their spots. And in the blink of an eye, as Ivan makes his way to the plate, his whole baseball life flashes before his eyes. As he recounts in his mind the long and winding road that has brought him back to the place where it all started. He thought about running himself running around Puerto Rico as a kid who loved riding a skateboard and playing basketball, volleyball, and of course baseball. He thought about how much he detested catching when he first started playing the position. Yvonne Rodriguez saw himself as a power-hitting corner infielder and a pitcher. But his father, who was his, one of his first baseball coaches, identifies that his son is someone who has a much stronger arm than his counterparts. And he tells his son, in no uncertain terms, he is not pitching or playing first or third base anymore. He is to concentrate strictly on catching. And the eight-year-old boy is horrified by the suggestion. He cries for 20 minutes. And his father tells him he can cry all he wants, but it's not going to change anything. And eventually, Yvonne stops crying. And from that day forward, he was a catcher. He thought about 1988, the day he signed with the Rangers. He was 16 years old, and there was a big prospect showcase for a bunch of major league teams in San Juan. And it was Rangers scouts, Sandy Johnson, Omar Manaya, and Manny Batista evaluating players that day. Luis Rosa, the owner of the baseball academy where the showcase was being held, had a list of four catchers he was showing up. Unfortunately, Avon was fourth on that list. But Ranger scout Sandy Johnson sees Rodriguez doing long toss on the outfield. And he asks Rosa about him. And he tells Luis, I want to see that kid before any of the others. So after starting off in that last group in the beginning, Rodriguez is now the very first catching prospect to show his abilities. And after his very first throw to second base, as Rodriguez remembered it, the second pretty much had got to the bag. Sandy turns to Manaya. Omar, Omar, stop him. I don't need to see another throw. Don't let him throw down to second again. Go tell Luis, I want this kid right here. What's his name? Rodriguez? He then took the 16-year-old boy out to the parking lot and had the kid sign a contract on the trunk of his car. And he thought about all these things before President Bush let loose with a ceremonial pitch. And that throw, it wasn't the moving strike he threw back in November of 2001. This pitch ran to the right side of the plate, hit a little dirt, and Pudge Rodriguez... True to his word, short hopped the pitch like a pro, ran out to the former president, smiling, and handed him the ball. And who would have ever thought that 16-year-old kid back in 1988 
would be working as a special advisor for the team he is most identified with and catching a World Series first pitch thrown by the former president of the United States. And here we are, folks, coming out of that wormhole and posted up in Manatee, Puerto Rico, November 27th, 1971, to bear witness to the birth and rise of Yvonne Rodriguez and his long and storied career as one of the greatest all-round players at his position. His father, Jose Rodriguez, was an electrician by trade, and his mother, Ava Torres, was a hairstylist and elementary school teacher. Amon and his brother, Jose Jr., were very close, and the Rodriguez family was a tight-knit unit. They weren't very rich, but they had each other, and the parents, Jose and Ava, stressed the importance of that. They grew up in Vega Baja, which is out in the country, and Yvonne had strict parents whose moral compass revolved around respect and family. Yvonne can remember how when he and his brother got home from school, they had to go straight in the house and do their homework. Then they would have an hour or so to go outside and play, but it was a rule in his family that the family eats together every night at 6.30. No ifs, ands, or buts. Ahmad and his older brother ran around the empty ball fields in town with a stick and a rolled up ball of tape, taking their cuts before joining Little League, where he played against future major leaguers like his good friend Ricky Otero and his future teammate Juan Gonzalez. His father, who forced him to play catcher in the Little Leagues, like I mentioned before, he was a semi-pro catcher himself back in the day, and he spent hours teaching the position to his son. Ironically, even before Pudge ever donned the tools of ignorance, his favorite baseball player as a kid was Johnny Bench. The Big Red Machine of Cincinnati was an MLB team that played a lot on the Puerto Rican televisions growing up, and Ahmad saw himself in the Johnny Bench mold. Not because of his, the position he played, but because in bench, he saw a shorter player like himself dominate in all aspects of the game. And as he grew older and developed into the catcher that we know today, he began to realize he was always destined to be a catcher like his childhood idol all along, even if he didn't know it at that time. Punch begins his playing career on the... Parcelas Amadeo. Amadio. Parcelas Amadio. An empty parcel of land with a ball field connected to it. He was coached by Julio Pavon and his father from the age of five until he was 13. And to this day, there is a debate on which coach deserves credit for moving him on to catch it. Pavon's recollection was that Avon threw so hard that the other boys had true fear competing against him. So he recommended to Jose that they move his son behind the plate. As a pitcher, Rodriguez was a man among boys, throwing seven no-hitters in his Little League career, including two in one day. By 1988, 
when he goes to the MLB showcase in San Juan that I mentioned earlier. Luis Rosa and Manny Batista discover the phenom out of Vega Baja. And they see a hard-nosed, ambitious 16-year-old kid with a very high baseball ceiling and acumen even at his young age. They see a kid with leadership skills beyond his years and a kid who knows what he wants in life and where he is going. After showing off his impeccable footwork and imposing arm with only one throw to second base, a 93 mile per hour, perfect, and I'm using bunny ears here, laser beam to shortstop. Sandy Johnson signs points to a deal with the Texas Rangers in the parking lot of the stadium. And he decides to have Avon skip rookie ball and he sends him to Gastonia in the Class A South Atlantic League in 1989 at the age of 17. But despite being one of the youngest players in the league, Pudge quits himself well. He, he only bats 238, but he impressed scouts throughout the league with his superior catch and throw abilities from behind the dish. And he is named one of the top prospects in the league and in baseball. In 1990... The Rangers promote Avon to Port Charlotte in the Florida State League. His batting improves as he posts a 287 BA, and again he is named among the league's brightest prospects, and he continues to climb the MLB prospect rankings with his solid second year. And it was that year that Avon was given the nickname Pudge. And some people may think that the nickname came because of his reverence for former MLB catcher and Hall of Famer Carlton Piss, but it actually had nothing to do with this moniker. Rangers coach Chino Katahia saw Avon as his short and stocky kid behind the plate, and he called him Pudge from day one. Rodriguez was small, cocky, and a feisty little brick shithouse strong dude. The name Pudge stuck with his teammates and coaches, and the rest is history. That offseason, upon his return to Puerto Rico, he begins working out with another strong-arm catcher from Puerto Rico, Benito Santiago. And he was the perfect mentor for the young Amon as uh, Pudge absorbed his daily lessons of not just how to throw the ball, but the mental aspect of the position and calling games, how to relate to starting pitchers on the mound that day, and what to expect at the catcher's position on the big league level. The offseason work with Santiago pays off as Yvonne continues to develop, and this time he winds up at Tulsa of the AA Texas League in 1991. Rodriguez brings his childhood friend Maribel Rivera along with him for the next leg of his journey after proposing marriage to him in the offseason, which she accepts. So at the tender age of 19, Rodriguez is again one of the league's most dominant younger players. He bats 274 in 50 games, and baseball executives have passed the word around. Hey, uh, you better keep an eye on this Rodriguez kid the Raiders have coming up, a catcher. 
Might be the best arm of footwork since bench. High praise indeed. Rodriguez and Maribel had planned on an on-field marriage ceremony between games of a doubleheader and Tulsa on June 20th. But their plans were squashed when Rangers catcher Gino Petrali was injured on the big club. The Rangers are forced to reach down into their farm and promote their number one prospect to the show. On a Wednesday, the day before the wedding was scheduled, the couple did a rust makeshift wedding on Thursday morning at the stadium with Pudge's teammates on hand before rushing the couple out to Chicago to make his major league debut. And he would make it up to his girlfriend with a real wedding ceremony during spring training of 1992. And Pudge takes great pride in his defense and arm. Nothing ever meant more to him than shutting down the opposing team's speed threat. Nothing makes him hornier than throwing behind a runner and catching him napping. When Pudge talks about his career, he always talks defense first. But the biggest thrill of his MLB debut was not just catching two base dealers in the game. It was his very first hit in the major leagues. With the Rangers down, one run to the White Sox in the ninth inning. The travel weary pod slams a two-run single in the left field to lead his team to victory. Rangers manager Bobby Valentine just stood there smiling at his new phenom. And he told the reporters, this kid's going to be pretty good. The feisty spark plug went on to hit in 10 of his first 11 games on that first road trip before coming home to thrill the Raiders faithful with four hits in his first home game. It didn't take him a while to drop Dong his first time, almost two months after his call-up, before he launches a shot on Royals pitcher Storm Davis, and he would hit two more in the following week. Now, Avon received a lot of attention the rest of that rookie campaign. And I remember that rookie year, and it was obvious, this kid is the real deal. He finished fourth in rookie of the year voting, and while he was the youngest player in the league during the 1992 season, opponents were amazed at how advanced his skills were in relation to his youth. And looking back... Pud still feels grateful for the clubhouse situation he walked into. He had an infinite well of baseball experience in the Rangers clubhouse to absorb with veterans like Julio Franco, Kenny Rogers, Ruben Sierra, Dean Palmer, Kevin Brown, Tom Hankey, Nolan Ryan, as well as his old friend and island rival, Juan Gonzalez. And those guys, they didn't give a damn how old he was. He was part of the family, and they expected him to do his job to the best of his ability every game. They didn't treat him like a kid. And he learned a lot just by watching the work ethic involved when it comes to sticking in the show. In 1992, Avon continues to excel with his talented teammates, and there is even talk of him playing in his first All-Star game based on his defense alone. However, in June of 1992, he is diagnosed with a stress fracture in his lower back, 
spent three weeks on the DL. Although the injury was caught early and the doctor said it wasn't career-threatening, the injury did bother him the rest of his career, which would cause future stints on the DL now now and then. And injury aside, he was in fact selected to his first All-Star team as a reserve. And when he appeared in the sixth inning of the game, he became the fourth youngest player to play in the Midsummer Classic. At the end of the year, Pudge would win his first of ten straight Gold Glove Awards for his defensive excellence. In 1993, Pudge continues to develop, still getting better, making great strides in his game. He ties himself to his boyhood idol, Johnny Bench, when he becomes the youngest player to start an All-Star game at the catcher position. Both Hall of Famers making their first All-Star State start at the age of 21 years, 7 months, and 16 days old. And I can't even begin to tell you how that is an absolute, mind-blowing, mathematical anomaly. Rodriguez went on to help as... AL All-Star teammates beat the National League 9-3 with one of the more unusual, memorable Midsummer Classic base hits you'll ever see when he laces a John Burkett pitch into the left field fence of Camden Yards that gets wedged into the seams of the outfield wall. And he would be credited with a ground rule double, eventually come around to score the go-ahead run. The American League never looked back, and they ran away with the win. A few weeks later, he'll play a stretch of games where he was literally in a league above. It may be the hottest stretch of his legendary career ever. On Monday, July 26, 1993, he went 4-4 four four in the second game of a doubleheader against the Royals out at Kaufman Stadium. In the next game, he again goes 4-4 four four for 8 straight hits and an intentional walk in the ninth. The following day, he is struck on, in the face on the backswing of Hubie Brooks. Breaking his cheekbone, he has surgery the next day after, and after missing four games, he returns to the diamond. In his first at bat, he grounds out the shortstop, ending the streak, and he then left in the sixth inning from dizziness. And he sat up for a couple more games before taking the field against the White Sox, at guaranteed rate field. And this team heads is the memorable night that Robin Ventura made his poor decision to bum rush the old fella, Nolan Ryan, on the mound. And usually, Pudge acknowledges he would have been much quicker at running interference, never letting Robin even make it to the old man, but admittedly to this day, Pudge was not only shocked by Ventura's reaction, never thinking that the pitch would elicit such a response. But he was also concerned over his recently surgically repaired jaw as he chased Robin to the mound. And thankfully, the aging Texas ranch hand and freak pitcher proved he could pretty much kick all these young pups in the ass and still win the game with bloodstained Rangers gear on. The rave reviews on Pudge's game continues to roll in. And Yvonne approached it with a combination of brass and humility. Saying, I want to be the best catcher ever. Others can say it, but I would never. 
Because if I say it, I will go backwards and my career will go down. On July 28, 1994, Pudge catches Kenny Rogers' perfect game versus the California Angels in Arlington, Texas. Contributing with a home run to this historical victory. Avon had already caught two no-hitters in the minors, but a perfect game in the major leagues is a whole other level. And it's one of his prouder personal moments in the game because he doesn't think people will truly understand that he would rather help a pitcher do that than hit a thousand home runs. The concentration, the perfection, a little bit of luck sprinkled in, and inspiring a pitcher to greatness is what being a catcher is all about in Yvonne Rodriguez's mind. And God bless catchers, right? They're just a different breed, man. They just get it. By the late 1990s, Yvonne Rodriguez is clearly the best catcher of his generation, and he's beginning to accumulate historical context to his play. He had developed in all phases of his game. He used to worry about his bat catching up to his defense. But the bat is now solid, and he immersed himself in fine-tuning his craft. He could always throw out dudes in the base pad, but now he was dedicated to blocking pitches, calling games. In 1996, he got both MVP for the first time as he led the Rangers to their very first postseason appearance in their 34-year history. In the spring of 1997... Pudge enters the final year of his contract with the world champs. The two sniffed each other's fire hydrants during spring training, but nothing materialized. And the two sides agreed to negotiate after the campaign was complete. The Rangers, though, fearing that they may lose their foundation piece to a free agency market for a measly draft pick as compensation, they approach a bond again to strike a deal. And Rodriguez was open to start uh, was open to restarting talks, but again, the two sides were far apart in value. Later, the Rangers made a public that well, they made a public letter they sent to Pudge's agent Jeff Moran, in which they made an offer of thirty million dollars over five years, which is about seventy two million dollars today in the twenty twenty three economy. Murad, who was working, who was asking for $40 million for his clients, said he felt like revealing private talks was a classless way to embarrass the Hall of Fame bound catcher. And it was in the best interest that the two parties table the discussions over a new deal till the end of the year, like the two sides had originally planned. On July 29th, the Rangers acquired Jimmy Lawrence from the Angels anticipating and preparing to trade Rodriguez. The organization had ostensibly agreed to a deal in theory with the Yankees to send Rodriguez to the Bronx for pitchers Eric Milton and Tony Armas Jr., as well as young catcher Jorge Posada from the Yankees' core four. And the Rangers presented Pudge with this option before signing off. And Yvonne decides to take matters into his own hands. He sits down one-on-one with Rangers owner Tom Schiffers. And he hammers out a five-year, $42 million deal. So, in today's terms of buying power, 
$42 million. You're looking at around $80 million in 2023. So you're looking at around $60 million a year. Uh, sign me up, please. That's ridiculous value for, you know, one of the greatest catchers who ever played. You know, when you base it on the context of today's salaries. After that season, Pudge played winter ball in Puerto Rico, as he had always done. But now that the Rangers had eaten him to this deal, they were less than thrilled with his year-round baseball play. Manager Johnny Oates in particular feared that his winter ball forays would shorten his career. But Rodriguez squashed those stairs coming into camp in the best shape of his life and with some white-hot lumber. In 1998... Rodriguez becomes the first catcher in baseball history to cord three hits in an all-star game. Manager Oates also penciled Pudgy in for some uh, spots uh, at the DH position, wanting to keep Avon in his lineup as much as possible. In 1999, Rodriguez broke numerous records. His 332 BA was the highest batting average for an AL catcher in the modern game. And the highest average since Bill Dickey of the Yankees in 1936. He also smashed out 35 home runs, a new AL record for catchers. 116 runs scored, 113 RBI. Becoming the first catcher to ever go 3,100-100. His 25 stolen bases made him the only catcher to have 20 home runs and 20 steals in a season. And he also had a 20-game history from May 8th to June 1st, the longest of his career. And he ended the season with a career high, 199 hits. And after this electrifying display of baseball brilliance, Avon was named the 1999 AL MVP, barely edging out Red Sox pitcher Pedro Martinez, who was absolutely ridiculous that year. I must have seen that guy pitch five times he came to yards in 1999. And 2000, Rodriguez is probably on pace for an even better year. But on July 24th, he breaks his thumb when it smashes into Movon's bat on the backswing as he was attempting to throw out a base stealer at second. And when he goes down, he was batting 343 with 27 doms and 83 ribs, well ahead of his 1999 MVP pace. The 2001 season started with so much promise as the Rangers opened their season against the Toronto Blue Jays and his native Puerto Rico. But again, Avon misses the end of the season when tendonitis in his knee forces him on the shelf for surgery. He was unable to work out while recovering and he encountered weight gain. While suffering from his herniated disc, he was forced to miss time between April and June. And during this time, he drops... From 232 pounds, that's 105 kilograms, to 202 pounds, 92 kilograms, suggesting that the extra weight may have been causing his back issues all along. During the season, the Rangers were giving every indication that they were going to be slashing payroll at the end of the year. They had signed Alex Rodriguez to an anchor of a deal. The largest ever pulling the organization down into deep waters. And they had signed other high-profile players in a, a push to make the post. 
rumors began to swirl that Rodriguez's day with the club was numbered, and it became official on December 7th, Pearl Harbor Day. The Rangers informed Rodriguez in the city of Dallas they were declining Pudge, an arbitration hearing, thus making him a free agent. A decision that angered many of the Rangers faithful. This was a very tough decision and certainly one that is painful and sad, said Rangers owner, Rangers owner Tom Hicks. And just like that, the greatest catcher of his generation is on the free agent market and there is no possible return to his beloved Texas Rangers. For the first time in a long time, there was a little uncertainty about the future of Yvonne Rodriguez. So check it out, priest. Let's take a break right here. Hit these sponsors up. Pay some bills. When we return, we'll continue the story of this iconic and immortal Juan Rodriguez. I'll never charge you cements for the baseball content, so please support the grassroots sponsors for your grassroots baseball pod. Backwards K-Pod, where we collect ball players and their stars. BRB Freaks, see you on the other side of the break. Hey, people will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your doorstep. As innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course we won't mind if you look around. They'll say it's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they lack. And they'll walk out to the bleachers, sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. Where they sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick, they'll have to brush them away from their faces. People will come, right? The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt, and erased, erased again. again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part where I pass, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good. And that could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Howdy, y'all. This is Big Tex, Gage Dean, executive producer of Backwards k Pop. In Texas, we do everything big. After football and golf, there's probably nothing I love more than going fishing and enjoying a good crawfish boil. The only thing I dislike about going fishing is the lingering odor it can leave on your hands afterwards. Well, the fishing hand cleaner is an all-natural liquid soap perfect for overpowering fish and bait odors from your hands. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten steamed crabs, lobster, shrimp, crawfish, and then washed my hands with regular soap only to touch my eyes half hour later and my face begins to melt off due to the damn Cajun no base spices. Well, we also have a hand cleaner specifically formulated to use after eating shellfish 
and other seafoods. Perfect for cleaning spicy, smelly hands after a Texas-sized seafood feast. In these cases, don't settle for anything less than our crawfish hand cleaner, our crab hand cleaner, or the fishing hand cleaner. An ingenious trifecta of natural hand soaps developed and owned by a disabled Navy veteran. He and Jake have a true connection, as they were boot camp shipmates all the way back in 1989. So he is family, folks. And one thing we do here at the Let's Talk Baseball Podcast Network is look out for family. So you can support two grassroots companies by two former shipmate Navy vets. Crushing big bowls of shellfish or fishing on the banks of your favorite river while you listen to BKP. Sounds like a great day. You know, in fact, hey, Mom, where are my poles? I'm gone fishing. There is also a buffalo wing hand cleaner in development as we speak. To check all of the incredible products of this great company, you can go to www.crawfishhandcleaner.com or call the home offices at 713-588-0290. That's 713-588-0290 to support the grassroots company that supports your grassroots podcast show. That's crawfishhandcleaner.com or 713-588-0290 to prepare for your summertime shellfish feast or that fishing trip you're planning, crawfishhandcleaner.com. And Hammond steps in, one out of three with a walk today. Urbina deals. A line drive out into left field, breaking in. Conine can't get to it. Up with it, the runner's wait. Here's the throw to the plate. Pudge is waiting. He tags him, gets knocked over, holds on, and the Marlins win the game. What a play to end it. A bruising collision at home plate to end this as Jeff Conine throws out J.P. Snow at home plate. And it's the Marlins who have beaten the Giants 7-6 and they're headed to the National League Championship Series. Okay, welcome back, freaks. Now, before I dipped out for spots, I was talking about the life and career of one of the greatest catchers to ever squat and wear a cup. I mean, arguably top five ever. I would imagine, right, Seamans? Or not? 
Send me a shout out. Tell me what you think. We're talking about Mr. Bon Rodriguez, or as that's, or as us seamheads always called him back then, Punch. And he is a veritable foundation cornerstone per franchise that hadn't seen the postseason once before his arrival. Just a kid off the country's side streets of Vega, Baja, Puerto Rico, where he grows up a disciplined but fun-loving kid who enjoys skateboarding the streets and playing sports with his friends and older brother Jose Jr. At a young age, his baseball coach and father forbade him to play any other position besides catcher. He fights the transition in the beginning, but as we all know, he becomes a Jedi Knight behind the dish. And at a showcase event in San Juan, as a 16-year-old kid, the Rangers signed him in the parking lot after watching one throw to second base. That registers 93 miles per hour on the jugs. At 19 years old, he is in the Rangers lineup for good. By 21, he is a generational tight catcher and a star radiating throughout the baseball universe. He spends 13 years of stellar play with the Rangers franchise. That includes an MVP season, multiple gold gloves, and all-star selections, numerous team records that still stand today, like the 9-RBI performance he displayed at the Kingdom versus the Marlins. I played that soundbite at the top of the show. Dave Nihas of the Seattle Mariners on the call. Unfortunately, the Rangers threw bad money at high-profile players in an instant gratification attempt at a World Series championship. And in 2002, they paid for those bad contracts with the guy who was the backbone of the now-relevant Rangers. Yvonne Rodriguez, in reflection of that year, said, of course I wanted to play my whole career there. That, that was always my goal. But baseball's a business. A few years earlier, they signed Alex Rodriguez for $252 million. So with them giving him that, it was obvious they were not going to be able to afford to pay me as well. But hey, I get it. It's baseball. I played hard every single game. I did my job. I worked my ass off. So no regrets and no hard feelings. Plus, it did help the way the whole Marlins thing worked out for me the next season. And Avon was unable to get the multi-year big contract he was looking for due to his recent injury history. And he finally signs a one-year deal for $10 million to play for the 2003 season with the Florida Marlins. While leaving his baseball family in Arlington was a tough Viking in the swallow, Rodriguez is, uh, is uh, re-energized by the possibility of playing in his adopted hometown of Miami, albeit for a team that is really not expected to contend. But when Pudge arrives in spring training, he looks around the clubhouse and he sees some young offensive pieces that intrigue him and Miguel Cabrera, Mike Lowell, Louis Castillo, Derek Lee, Juan Pierre... But it's the young starting pitchers that has him chomping at the bit. The rotation of arms 
all under 30 years old in Carpovano, Brad Penny, Mark Redman, with 21-year-old Dontrell Willis and 23-year-old Josh Beckett serving as overpowering phenoms on the rise. And he sets the tone in training camp and embraces his staff, learning their strengths and weaknesses, their manneristic quirks, what makes each one of them tick. And the coming to Jesus moment pays off as Pudge and his band of young arms finish the season going 91-71, leading the Fish to a second-place finish in the National League East and a wild-card spot in the 2003 post. And in his first season outside of Texas, Pudge plays in 144 games, scores 90 runs, smashes out 152 hits, and 578 plate appearances, 36 doubles, 3 triples, 16 home runs, 85 RBI, while collecting 242 total bases and a 297, 369, 474 slash line, an 843 OPS and a 120 OPS plus. Not bad for a 31 year old with herniated disc. But even bigger than his solid stats, his leadership was invaluable, according to manager Jack McKeon, who took helm, uh, took the helm of skipper after Jeff Torborg was fired for a mediocre start to the season. Game three of the NLCS matchup versus the San Francisco uh, Giants. He damn near won that game on his own accord. In the first inning, he starts to show up with a two-run shot. As well as his game-winning single in the 11th inning to secure a 4-3 victory. The resurgent punch shined on the big stage. And he got at least one hit in each of the four games of the season. Series. And no seam head. Whoever witnessed the final out of that series will ever forget it. It is quite simply the greatest series clinching last out division series history for sure. With the Marlins desperately searching for the last out of the series and the Giants desperately hoping to tie the game or go up. The Giants have man on person second with two outs. Jeffrey Hammonds at the plate and Ugut Obina on the mound. Hambone hits a dying quail base hit the left field that Jeff Codon fields cleanly on one hop. The giant runner on second base is J.T. Snow, the now 37-year-old veteran in slight decline from a solid baseball career, and he's intent on tying this game. More than anything, he wants to play for a chip when it's all said and done. There is no hesitation in his instincts. He's going for it. Jeff Conan, the outfielder, is also 36, and he's come back to the franchise where it all began for him as well. When he is dealt by the Orioles to Miami, where the fans still call, call him Mr. Marlin, even after watching him move on from Miami. So, Mr. Marlin definitely feels the ball in a hop, and with every ounce of strength in his body, he fires the ball to the waiting glove, and wide eyes a punch. The ball takes a slight hop to his left. But the veteran catching. Yeah he does this for a living. He feels the ball. Jumps back into the fairgrounds. In front of the plate. Snow has arrived at virtually the same time as punch. And the ball. 
and he has no choice. He's going to have to go through punch to score this run. He lowers his head, raises his elbows, and bang! The two elite athletes collide. Snow lands on his stomach across the plate. Rodriguez falls on his back. And the umpire calls J.T. Snow out as he drowns his head into his arms. Josh Beckett, who's backing up the play, he dives on top of Pudge, Pudge as the city of Miami roared their approval and the fish players come cascading out of the dugout in celebration. You see Pudge still on his back, holding the baseball in his outstretched arms with Beckett on top of him. And when the mass of humanity let Pudge up, he held the baseball up for all of Joe Robbie Stadium to admire. The team began to gravitate towards their leader and followed his lead against the Cubs in the Steve Bartman series. I'm sure we're going to cover that here at BKP one day. He's named the NLCS MVP after setting a record with 10 RBIs in the series, beating the Cubs in seven, and propelling one of the most unlikely teams in baseball history to a World Series showdown with the mighty, vaunted New York Yankees. Avon would make his impact felt in Game 1 of the series, as the underdog Marlins are playing loose, with hardly anyone giving them a chance, and the top of the first, Rodriguez hits a sack fly to left field to put the fish on the board with the first RBI of the series. He also picks off first base with Nick Johnson for the third out of the inning, at third base, with the Bombers threatening to get loose. And most people would think the infamous collision with J.T. Snow would be his favorite defensive play in his career. But he would tell you, picking off Johnson in Game 1 of the World Series is his personal favorite. If he doesn't make that throw, maybe that run scores, we lose, and it changes the whole dynamics of the series. A 1-1 to Matt Stewart. Throw down the third, and Johnson is out. Oh, what a throw. A signal was given between Rodriguez and Lowell, the third baseman. They were ready. Nick Johnson was not. And on that, the third inning is over. The Yankees get a run. Two outs, really no place to go. But watch Mike Lowell right there. The minute the pitch is by Matsui, he breaks for third. And the throw paralyzes Johnson. To the point where he's almost trying to crawl back to the bag. Ah, well, well, well. And Tim McCarver, he, he, he caught it right, right there. He paralyzed Nick Johnson on that pickoff play. And he literally was crawling to get back to the third base bag. It, it's, it, it was an amazing throw. And he set the tone game one of the World Series. Uh, the Yankees would rebound. From the Game 1 loss, snatching victories in Game 2 and 3. But the Fish would win the next three straight, taking the title in six games. And after the final out in Yankee Stadium, he took his son out onto the playing field of old Yankee Stadium, walking the bases, and then kneeling and praying at home plate. To finally capture that elusive chip and do it on the biggest baseball stage, Yankee Stadium, it still humbles him to this day. 
After the championship winning season, Amon approaches the thrifty Marlins ownership and he asks for a four-year, $40 million deal. The fish counter with an offer that had a $2 million payout uh, pay cut from his salary the year before. And Pudge wasn't even looking for a raise above the previous season's salary, just an extension for the same price. So when Miami insulted a major piece of the World Series championship with a pay cut, Rodriguez began looking around the league to see what other teams had interest in him. And although he had several suitors for his services, Pudge is now a 32-year-old catcher with more than 1,600 games played, a mileage under his hood, and teams were a little wary of giving him a big deal. On February 6, 2004, Rodriguez inks a four-year, $40 million agreement with the Detroit Tigers, the team that had won 43 games a year before, the worst team in the franchise's proud history, and owner Mike Elliott was ready for a fresh start. He and current Phillies GM Dave Dombrowski, they met with Rodriguez and told him they wanted to build their team around him. Now, Tigers Hall of Famer Al Kaline was skeptical when the GM told him of his pursuit and aspirations that he had for the Tigers, saying, there's no way in hell you're going to get a superstar of Rodriguez's standing to sign in Detroit right now. But the singularly focused Dombrowski had his baseball ear to the ground and he had done the offseason homework. He knew that Obama was driven to be a complete player and he had heard what kind of an impact he had on that young Marlins pitching staff. And Dombrowski made a calculated bet that Rodriguez would make the same kind of impression on his young arms around uh, coming through the Detroit pipeline. And his bet pays off as Pudge assumes the leadership mantle and takes the initiative with his young hurlers. Pudge absolutely loved playing in Detroit Rock City. He had a respect for their lineage and history. He loved the old English D logo. He was intent in sticking it out and growing his new team the same way he did with the Rangers and the Fish. He hits 334 in 2004, helped the Tigers improve the standings by 29 games. More importantly, he gave the team credibility as a possible destination spot for other big names to join him, which ultimately led to the team's resurgence in the following decade. At the end of that year, Jose Canseco releases his book, Juiced, and he names Rodriguez, Palmero, and Gonzalez as players who used steroids during his time playing right field for the Rangers, an accusation that Pudge has always denied. And look, I'm not really going to go there. My opinion is, we kind of all knew on some level that dudes were using PADs in the 90s. From, from the commissioner down to the average team head fan, you'd have to be deaf, dumb, and blind to not know it was there. And quite frankly, and I'm consistent, I don't really care. I can honestly say I have no idea who did what. As a baseball historian, it isn't my job to inundate you with my opinion on this. 
That's for you to decide. I'm not judging jury. There are a lot about PEDs that I don't know about. And I always think it's funny when these straight-laced dudes who've never even hit a joint try to tell me about drugs and PEDs. I give you the facts, you decide. I try to keep it as unpolitical as possible. So, in 2005, Rodriguez shows up to camp 22 pounds lighter, which, of course, all these baseball scribes who have sat around all day farting in their fucking chairs as a form of exercise, they begin insinuating it's because of Pudge's uh, getting off the roids. And Rodriguez defended himself by explaining he did a lot of cardio and changed up his workout regimen to preserve his hips and back. Which, look, it sounds perfectly reasonable to me. As a person who has cut ridiculous weight back in the day just by running. He was also doing 30-minute workouts at the game. He changed his diet to avoid late-night meals. In 2005... Awan and the team, they take a step back in part because of his marriage falling apart and ending in divorce. His B.A. falls 58 points and the Tigers finish the year with a 71-91 and record. In 2006, the club rebounds as the Tigers won 95 games on the way to capturing the American League pennant. And for the first time in his MLB career, he played somewhere other than catcher or DH that year, appearing in seven games at first and even two innings at second base. After wrapping up the AL pennant, the upstart Tigers, who had undergone a surprising turnaround from being the laughing stock of baseball, found themselves in the World Series versus the St. Louis Cardinals for the third time in the two teams' history. And the majority of the credit belonged to Rodriguez's leadership and play. The Tigers would fall short and defeat to the Cards in the World Series. And punches often opined that the only regret of his baseball career was not bringing a title back to Detroit and the loyal fan base. He was heartbroken because they had such a good year. The perfect group of guys to get it done. But it all fell apart. And that series... It's just as painful as the Marlins win over the Yankees is gratifying. In 2007, the Tigers stumble. They miss the playoffs as Rodriguez's prediction uh, production took a hit. Although, he did catch the second no-hitter of his Major League Baseball career. When he caught Justin Verlander's first no-no versus the Brewers. At the end of the year, the club picked up his club option for $13 million for the 2008 campaign. And after a somewhat disappointing start to his 2008 season, Avon's season self starting to share time with youngster Brandon Inch. On July 30th, the Tigers trade punch to the New York Yankees for pitcher Kyle Farnsworth. The Yankees had just lost Posada to injury and needed a quick replacement band-aid while the Tigers were in desperate help, uh, desperate need for helping their bully. So when he returns to Detroit a few weeks later with his new ball club, 
The fans of Comerica Park gave Pudge a standing ovation, which almost made him tear up. He did find himself splitting time with Jose Molina in New York, and he hits just 219 while donning the pinstripes. When the Yankees fall short of a playoff appearance, Rodriguez was released by the club to the free agent market. In the spring of 2009, the 37-year-old catcher with a ton of mileage, still felt like he could play for three or four more years. He participated in the World Baseball Classic for Team Puerto Rico and then signs a one-year, $1.5 million deal with the Houston Astros. He belts home run number 300 of Cubs pitcher Rich Harden at Wrigley Field on July 17th. Thankfully, the fans of the friendly confines, as is their tradition with visitor home runs, they threw the ball back in the field and Avon has it to this day. On June 17th, he reaches another milestone as he returns to Arlington to face Texas in an Astros uniform for the first time. And he breaks Carlton Fisk's record of games caught with game number 2,227. His two throwing errors would cost his Astros and the Rangers would take the 5-4 victory. Two months later, August 18th, the prodigal son returns when Rangers catcher Jared Saltamachia goes on the DL and Texas swings the deal with Houston for his return. And really, other than his first game back with his old team when he goes 3-4, for four, he struggles mostly in his return and the Rangers decline to offer him a contract at the end of the year. Pudge then signs a two-year deal with the Washington Nationals for two years at $6 million. The original plan was to have him back up Jesus Flores, but Flores gets injured and spends the season on the DL. As the starting catcher, Avon struggles hitting just 266 with only four home runs, spending time himself on the shelf struggling with, with recurring back spasms. He did return in June to catch highly anticipated MLB debut of Steven Strasburg, who struck out 14 Pirates with Pudge coaxing him along. At the end of the season, he's honored to come back to Arlington, where the Raiders had him catch the ceremonial World Series first pitch thrown by former teammate Nolan Ryan. In his final season... 2011, Rodriguez spent most of his time as a backup for the Nats, and he hits 218 in 44 games. The Nationals had numerous talks with several teams in hopes of trading him to a contender, but nothing materialized. As that final year of his story career begins melting away in the summer days of 2011, Washington, D.C., Rodriguez is sitting on the bench more and more as the Nats are giving their younger dudes the experience they will need for their future. He doesn't receive any offers for the upcoming 2012 season until the Kansas City Royals offer an opportunity when their catcher went down with an injury. But the 40-year-old icon was done. He had accomplished more than he'd ever thought possible. All those years ago in Puerto Rico, he politely declines the Royals' offer and he prepares for the baseball afterlife. On April 23rd, 2012, 
Pudge officially retires before a Rangers game at the ballpark in Arlington. He throws out the first pitch by standing behind second uh, home plate and tossing it down to Michael Young awaiting his throw at second base. The following spring, he joined the Rangers as a special assistant to the GM, where he worked in the scouting department, player development, and team marketing. In 2013, he was inducted into the Rangers Hall of Fame. In 2014, the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. And in 2015, the Latino Baseball Hall of Fame. In 2017, Rodriguez was eligible for the first time on the ballot for the National Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. And with whispers of steroids injected into the narrative, combined with these nut jobs who don't vote for players in the steroid era, along with these even crazier nut jobs who never vote for a player their first time on the ballot, which, you know, it just kind of goes back to what I was just talking about earlier with judge and jury. And some people need to get over themselves. But anyway, with all these circumstances surrounding Pudge during the voting, it really wasn't a sure thing that he would make the 2017 class. But Rodriguez carries 76% of the vote, joining his childhood hero Johnny Bench as the only two catchers to be inducted into the hall on the first bout. For many of you who had the honor of witnessing his play, the baseball argument will always resist. Where does Yvonne Rodriguez Torres rank in the all-time handful of the game's top catchers? And look, Reese, I think that's what I'm going to call it this week. I feel honored myself to witness the greatness of Pudge Rodriguez as a fan. And I'm grateful to have this platform and this audience to be a part of adding this amazing catcher to our collection of ballplayers and their stories. I hope you enjoyed listening to this story as much as I enjoyed putting it together. And I promise, Reeks, I'll be up bright and early taking my cuts in the cage. Trying to be better for you freaks next week. So, before I grip, rip, and dip with an epic Bautista bat flip, get your Seamets back to your loved ones waiting patiently for the past two minutes back at Terrapin Station. Let's take a look at those, oh, so sexy, Avon Rodriguez stats. Yvonne Rodriguez Torres, born November 27, 1971. So at the drop of this show, Pudge is officially 52 years old in one day as he just celebrated his born day this past Monday. He was the 15,959th player to join the MLB fraternity when at the age of 19, he goes 1 for 4 with 2 RBIs in his Major League debut versus the White Sox, June 20th, 1991. 21-year baseball career with the Rangers, Marlins, Tigers, Yankees, Astros, and the District Nats. A 68.7 career war. When he retired, he owned numerous catching records, among them most games caught, 2,247, most hits by a catcher, 2,749, most gold glove awards, 13, most all-star starts, 12, appearances, 14, tied with Yogi Berra. 
He won seven Silver Slugger Awards, second only to Mike Piazza, and is ten. He led the league in caught stealing percentage nine times, and eight of those times, he threw out more than half of the runners trying to steal on him. He has the fifth most home runs by a catcher, 304, the most doubles, 551, the most runs scored, 1,316, and the most RBIs, 1,290. A 296, 334, 464 slash, 798 OPS, and a 106 OPS plus. 4,451 career total bases, 1999 American League Most Valuable Player. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, seamen's of all ages, this is the story of Avon Pudge Rodriguez. And look, I gotta tell you, that show felt good coming off the bat. Off the bat, I'm glad I went there this week. Pudge was one hell of a ball player, and I can officially put a backwards K next to his name in the scorebook and get you priest back to Terrapin Station where your loved ones are waiting. I would never charge you seamhead breaks for the baseball content. I mean, I don't pay for podcast shows. Why would I charge you? That's never going to happen. I'm just going to keep coming through. Every Tuesday. With that free. Baseball smoke. You don't want that smoke. And I'm going to keep it consistent like Napoleon Lajaway, folks. Please remember to rate and review. Share with your cement buddies. So. As I've been baseball space and time to get you home to your family. I see the Yvonne Rodriguez story getting smaller and smaller in my rear views. So with that being the case, I now turn my attention to our never-say-die baseball hydra. I reach under my Komoda and I chop the head off that beast, only to see two more baseball topics appear in its place. And I'll tell you what, freaks. How about we stay with this theme of badass catchers? With the end of the year approaching, I want to make sure Johnny Bench is in the collection before the new year. So yeah, we're going to go to the Queen City next week to dive into the legend of Johnny Bench. Sounds like fun, I can't wait. But look, that's another story for another pod here at Backwards K-Pod. Where we collect ball players and their stories. Parents, if you see your kid sitting on the couch, unproductive, looking bored AF, by all means, take those little rugrats outside and play a game of catch. Thank you all for coming out. God bless and win the day. And like my boy Shay Hellenbrand told me in our one-on-one sparring session in the dojo last year, you go to hell, Andy Pettit. And just to let you guys know, I got a new member on the staff, you freaks. I adopted a chocolate tabby this week. And his name is Gunner. And he's freaking awesome. 
Welcome to the life, Charlie Guns. Speaking about Gunner, me and the cat, we're throwing up our Gunner Hendersons right now to all you freaks. Our deuces. See you next week for Johnny Bench, y'all. Peace.